You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. Good evening, Grace. Welcome to Good Friday service. If you are joining us online, we're glad you're here. We're thankful that you're able to be here as well with us. My name is Sean. I'm one of the elders, and I'm one of the preachers here at Grace. And tonight we're going to talk about the crucifixion. Um, We've been in the series leading up to the cross of Christ, and it has been weighty, and it has been significant. And I think that that's appropriate. I think that it needs to be, because this is you know, one of the most important and significant events in all of human history. And what what I want to do tonight, my goals for tonight, number one is just to simply remember, to remember what it was that Jesus did for us a couple of thousand years ago. And in remembering, I, I want to look at, honestly, what did it look like for Jesus to be crucified? I know there's some kids in here. I'll try to keep it PG. It may push to PG-13, but the fact is, This is R-rated violence. It's significant. And so my my goals this this evening, I want to remember. It's a theme throughout all of Scripture and it's remembering. But I also want to look at what happened, honestly what happened. I want to look at how it happened. And most importantly, I want to look at why it happened. So pray with me and we will get started. Father, thank you for tonight. I thank you for your spirit. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the cross. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for this church. God, I pray that your spirit would move mightily. God, you would speak through me, that you would fill me now. And that, God, your presence would be felt by everybody here in the room and everybody who's listening or watching online. God, I pray your spirit would be with them as well. And God, you would help us to remember, and you would cause us to worship, and that God, you would be glorified. I love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So much has already happened uh, in this process leading to the cross, and we've looked at this over the last couple of weeks. Uh, Jesus had his last supper meal. It was a very special and intimate time with the closest people to him, his disciples, his closest friends here on earth. And it was an, in, just an incredibly intimate and special time. But, but after that time, Jesus went with some of his disciples. He went to the Garden of Gethsemane, and he spent an absolutely agonizing night in prayer. Jesus was so overwhelmed there. It says in Scripture, he was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And he was in so much agony and so much stress that night that he actually literally sweat blood out of his skin. This is a a real medical condition. It's called hematohydrosis. Doctors know that this can only happen under severe and intense stress. And that's where Jesus was that night. And so he is exhausted in every way. He spent the night in the garden. I don't know exactly how long he was there. And then Judas shows up with the crowds, with clubs, and with, with uh, swords, and he betrays Jesus with a kiss. And then, and then they lead Jesus away, 
and he is forced to endure a series of fake trials. We call, they're fake trials because they weren't really trials. They didn't even follow their own laws. And so ultimately, those trials, they led to an unfair conviction and an unjust sentencing to death to murder Jesus because that's what it's called when you kill an innocent person. And then it says that they had him flogged. And flogging isn't something that we have much context for in our day and age. But, but what this involved was obviously beating Jesus, but it was so much worse than that. They stripped him naked. They hit him in the head with sticks. They spit on him. They made fun of him. At some point, they chained his hands up over his head and they began to whip him. His back, his buttocks, his legs would all be completely exposed. And they whipped him with implements designed to do the most damage possible to a human body. Many people died from just the beatings alone. This is where our story picks up today. Jesus is exhausted in every way. He is humiliated He is bleeding. His body is in shock. He's in agonizing pain. And things are only going to get worse. Matthew 27, verse 31, it says, Then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged. We talked about that. And he handed him over to be crucified. Now, crucifixion, like flogging, isn't something that we really have in our context of our, our regular lives. We just don't see it very much, right? And, and the examples that we have often are, are shown us like our cross here on the wall. Now, most crosses in churches that I've seen are really nice. They're made of beautiful wood. They're stained or painted a nice color. And I think ultimately they're good to help us remember, but I think it gives us a false sense of how horrifying crucifixion actually was. See, crucifixion was such a significant, painful, awful, violent way to die that they invented a word to describe it, excruciating. It literally means from the cross. Crucifixion was very public. It was designed to be public. It was designed to humiliate. It was designed to scare the population into getting back in line. Don't step out of line or this is what Rome will do to you. In 71 BC, there was a former gladiator, Spartacus, He raised up a rebellion with 120,000 other people, and they ultimately lost the battle. But what Rome did to 6,000 of the survivors was they had them crucified along the shoulder of the highway. It stretched for 120 miles. That's like getting in your car here in the Grace parking lot and driving to Lincoln City and seeing somebody by the shoulder of the highway crucified every 105 feet all the way to Lincoln City. It's horrifying. One commentator um, that I read regularly said that it was so public, it would be like us seeing a cross outside of the local mall. And so that's what crucifixion is. They would nail them to the cross, naked for all to see. Often, whoever was being crucified, they, they would lose control of their bodily functions. And so there would be blood and sweat and urine and feces all over them, all over the cross, on the ground. They would stay there from a few hours to multiple days, depending on how long it took them to die. Ultimately, they usually died of asphyxiation, among other things. The ancient historian Josephus 
said that crucifixion is the most wretched of deaths, and indeed it was, and the Romans had perfected it. So that's what I want you to be thinking of tonight as we talk about all of the things we're going to talk about that happened to Jesus. Look at verse 32. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. Jesus, again, is exhausted. He's been up all night long in agonizing prayer. He's endured trials. He's endured beatings. And Jesus was a strong man physically. He was a carpenter. He had to be. So he was used to taking care of lumber, lifting lumber, hammering, sawing, doing all those things. They hadn't invented power tools yet. So he was physically strong. And Jesus, even strong Jesus, is so exhausted that he can't even carry the cross. Usually it would be just the cross beam member that they were, they were carrying. And Jesus falls down. I think this thing crushes his chest. Um, there's a guy in the crowd there. We don't know much about him, but Simon of Cyrene, they tap him and they say, get over here. You're going to help Jesus carry his cross. And so, so he does. Look at verse 33. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall. But after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Again, this is a very public place, and everybody would have known where it was. And so it says that they offered Jesus this wine mixed with gall. Gall was sometimes poison. Um, sometimes it wasn't. Maybe it was a, a, a mild painkiller, like a narcotic of some kind. But gall was bitter. And that's the most important piece here because Jesus, or, or this story here, is referencing Psalm 69. Jesus is fulfilling prophecy in this very moment. And it's a horrifying scene because the soldiers who had participated in his beatings in his humiliation, in his crucifixion, in nailing him to the cross, are sitting at the base of the cross and they're gambling for his clothes. The mocking starts in then, verse 38, two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. Again, it's a public place. And the passers-by, they've, they've heard the charges. They've heard what people have said about Jesus. They've heard the, the true things that they said about Jesus. They've also heard the lies that people said about Jesus. And so there they are in the crowd and they're mocking him. And they're saying, listen, you, you say that you're going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. If you're really that powerful, why don't you save yourself? What they didn't realize is that the temple that Jesus was talking about, in part, was his body. And the destruction hadn't been completed yet. And the rebuilding would take place three days later. They're completely missing what's going on here. You see, they think God's not involved. They think certainly God's not here helping, working, doing anything. But the irony is, is God is right there with them. And here's the thing about it. If Jesus had come down off of that cross, he had the power to do so. If he had come down off of that cross proving that he was God, he would have nullified his humanity side and he couldn't have been our sacrifice then. And so Jesus was committed to staying nailed to the cross for as long 
as it took because that's how much he loved the world. That's how much he loves you and me. It wasn't just the crowd passing by that was making fun of him. It was also the religious leaders. It says, verse 41, In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. The religious leaders uh, are like a bunch of kids in a playground. They're just piling on here. And they're continuing the mocking of Jesus. They even know that, that maybe he had done some good things. It says in verse 42 that he saved others. I don't know if they're referring to some of the miracles that they saw Jesus do. But, but, but they're acknowledging that, that he, he did some good things, it seems, but they're just mocking him and saying, what are you, the king? Look at you now. You don't look much like a king. The Jewish leaders were looking for a political and a militarily strong leader to come and set them free from the bondage and oppression that they were experiencing under Rome. And so they were looking for a king, but when the king showed up, They didn't even recognize him. These were men that knew their Bibles really, really, really well. And yet somehow there they are and they're mocking Jesus and they're forgetting the words of the prophets like Zechariah and Isaiah. Remember this? We looked at this last week. Isaiah 53, verse 3. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Some translations there, instead of saying suffering, they say sorrows, a man of sorrows. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. The the religious leaders are there. They're looking for a king. They're looking for the wrong kind of king. And what I can't believe is that they're there. Aren't they looking up at him on the cross, seeing his swollen and bloodied and battered face and body? Seeing all of the body fluids and everything that had poured out of him? Can't they see what's happening? Can't they see that on the cross in front of him is truly a man of sorrows? A couple of things here. It is important for us to see Jesus as the king that the word says he is. He is powerful, he is wonderful, he is awesome, he is majestic, and he is also humble and gentle and kind and so full of love and so committed to self-sacrifice because he loves you that much and he loves me that much. We also must be cautioned here, though, to recognize that we are in need of a Savior. And this is important, because if you live your life in such a way that, that, that it demonstrates you don't believe you need a Savior, if you believe that you don't need a Savior, then everything that Jesus is going through here tonight is completely for nothing. There's no point in it. It's important that we see ourselves as the word sees us, those in need of a savior. The crowds are mocking Jesus. The Pharisees are mocking Jesus. And amazingly, 
So are the criminals next to him. Verse 44, in the same way the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. We are told um, that, that these guys are mocking Jesus. And the Gospel of Luke tells us actually one of them was in fact mocking Jesus. He was saying things like, and this is my paraphrase, you're an idiot, look how stupid you look. You think you're so powerful, you think you can do anything? But the other criminal, we're told, wasn't saying those kinds of things. We're told that he was looking at Jesus and seeing Jesus for who he really was. I wonder if this man was hanging on the cross and maybe he had heard or seen Jesus do some of the incredible things he did. And now he's witnessing what's going on right now and he knows Jesus is truly an innocent man of sorrows. And this guy finally recognizes the depth of his own sin And he looks at Jesus and he says, Jesus, please remember me today when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus gives him the most incredible gift that anybody could have at any point in their life, but especially when there are moments from death. And Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. It is incredible. And I think about the mocking of all of these people. I think about uh, the crowds and the Pharisees and the criminal next to him. And I think how easy it is to be in the crowd and to kind of go along with. And that's what haunts me. That's what scares me about myself. There is a modern hymn, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. Listen to these words. Behold the man upon the cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. I wonder what I would have done had I been there that day. I wonder about the ways in my life that I have mocked Jesus knowingly or not knowingly. I wonder about the ways that in my life today, some days that I mock Jesus just because of the way I live or the things I say, I wonder. God gave us his word, his prophecy pointing to the Messiah. It's an incredible gift. He gave us all the things that was recorded in scripture, including going to the cross, but he also records some incredible supernatural phenomenon that happens here inside of scripture. Take a look at verse 45. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, Lima, Sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is incredible because this is not like a regular eclipse. Most of us have experienced a regular eclipse at some point in our lives, and it doesn't get totally dark. It gets pretty dark, but it doesn't get totally dark, and it doesn't even last for that long. But on this day, it gets dark. I picture it like nighttime. And the minutes stretch into an hour, and then two hours, and then three hours. It's incredible. And at the end of those three hours, Jesus says this. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Here he's quoting from Psalm 22, again, fulfilling more prophecy. He is truly a man of sorrows at this point. You see, Jesus in heaven had perfect relationship with the Father and with the Spirit. Perfect everything. 
Communion, relationship, love, adoration, connection. There was nothing missing, nothing lacking, uh, nothing that was needed. And yet he chose to set all of that aside to come to earth to live within the constraints of a human body. And now he has suffered horribly. And now he is on the cross. And it's like Jesus is finally broken in every way. And he cries out to the Father, why have you forsaken me? I wonder what those who were witnesses that night were thinking. What would you have thought witnessing it get dark and stay dark for three hours and then hear Jesus call out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, They said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar. He put it on a staff, and he offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. They think he's calling Elijah. And I don't know if it's because they think that Jesus is like thinking, well, God's not going to help me. He just said, why have you forsaken me? So maybe now Jesus is turning to some other kind of form of help. And then they say, now leave him alone. I don't think this is a, merc- a merciful, now leave him alone. I think this is, a, all right, let's see what happens next. That's how I read it. Verse 50, and when Jesus had cried out in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. The gospel of Luke tells us what he said. He says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He's quoting Psalm 31. Again, he's fulfilling prophecy right up to the very end. Jesus is completely faithful to the very end. He entrusts his spirit to the Father in perfect obedience, making him the perfect sacrifice for us all. There is a book that I love. Um, It is one I um, have read several times. I'm in the process right now of reading it with a couple of brothers of mine. We're going through it. It is called Doctrine, What Christians Should Believe. It was co-authored by Gary Bashirs and Mark Driscoll, a couple of brothers in Christ. And it's a fantastic book. If you don't own a copy of this book, you need to buy a copy and you need to read the book several times. It will help you understand the word better. It will help you understand God better. And it will help grow you in your faith. It's that good of a book. And Gary didn't even pay me to say that tonight. But in this book, in the chapter that deals with Jesus' crucifixion, uh, he says this. They say this in the book. They say, at this moment, the atonement for sin was made and the holiness, righteousness, justice, and wrath of God were satisfied in the crucifixion of Jesus. This is what's happened now. Finally, everything's been leading to this. All of human history has been leading to this very moment on this very day. Jesus says, into your uh, hands I commit my spirit. He's trusting the Father ultimately. God, Father, whatever you have, I'm trusting you. And then he gives up his body, he gives up his spirit, he dies. And at that moment, all of this happened. Sin has been atoned for, sin has been paid for. Holiness, righteousness, justice, wrath of God were all satisfied in the cross of Christ. It's an incredible moment in history. And there's signs here in the scriptures that point to amazing things that are happening 
Verse 51, at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs were open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. So this, this curtain that it's talking about here is a super, super thick curtain that would have been in the temple. And it separated the, the, the most holy place from the rest of the temple. And you couldn't go in there freely. In fact, only one person a year, the high priest, on one day of year, the Day of Atonement, would be allowed to go into the most holy place behind this curtain. And there he would offer sacrifices, there he would offer prayers, there he would offer atonement for the people. And so what happens here in this moment is this curtain is ripped in two, and what that means is it's signifying the opening of God's presence to the world. Because through Jesus' work on the cross now, everything has changed. It's, it's, it's an absolutely incredible moment in human history because what God is saying now is that we have free access to God through Jesus. We, we can go to him directly. He is our great high priest. He is the one who has made atonement. He is the one that paid for our sins. He is the one that made a way for us to be able to come to God. It's incredible, absolutely incredible. And then the earth shakes, the rocks split, when I read this, it makes me think about the accounts of Palm Sunday that we celebrated last week. When Jesus is entering Jerusalem, people are there, they're joyfully praising God. They're excited, they're, they're pumped up about what's happening and the Pharisees tell Jesus, hey, why don't you shut these people up? And Jesus tells him, he says, if they cry, keep quiet, the stones will cry out. That's what I think of is happening here. Even the earth is crying out. But if that wasn't enough, it says that many holy people were resurrected. I have read the Bible all the way through at least 10 times. And I've read lots of portions of the Bible many, many more times than that. I have no idea how it is that I missed this detail. I don't know. In studying this out the last couple of weeks, I'm like, Lord, how did I not see that before? Because this is also one of the most incredible moments in human history. Because what I think is happening here is God is giving us a taste. He's giving us first fruits of what we can come to look forward to. And so he resurrects, uh, around the time of Jesus' resurrection, he resurrects many holy people. They go into town. People see them. People witness them. I don't know what happened to them after that. We're not told. I imagine they got to go uh, be with the Lord after that, but I don't know. But it is incredible what happens here. And I think it's important that we know this detail because we need encouragement. I do. We need encouragement because if the story stops here, then it seems like everything is lost and it seems like Satan had won and Jesus is dead. Amazingly, even those who were around him at the moment knew something was happening. Verse 54 when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified. I would have been too. And they exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. And indeed he was. I wonder what the centurions were thinking, knowing that they had perhaps participated in the beatings, in the floggings, in the mockings, 
Maybe the centurion that says this was the guy that physically drove a nail through Jesus' hands or his feet. And he's been there for hours watching Jesus in agony. And then these incredible signs happen and he's terrified, rightfully so. And at least for the moment, he recognizes exactly what's going on and exactly who Jesus is. It's not just him, though. There was some other special people there. Verse 55, many women were there watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. Some special, beautiful, strong, faithful women were there at the cross. Many did desert Jesus. Many did ran when things got tough. Many hid. Many tried to blend into the crowd. But there were some brave women. And we're told John was there. I'm expecting maybe there were some other people that followed Jesus were there as well at a distance. But it bears asking the question, what will you do What will you do when things get difficult in life? What will you do when it looks like all is lost? What will you do when it gets hard to to live out your faith? Will you run from Jesus or will you run to Jesus? We have looked at what happened. We have looked at how it happened. But like I said at the beginning, maybe the most important thing is the why it happened. Why was Jesus crucified? And the short answer is simply because he loved us and he knew that we needed a savior. Look at Ephesians 1.4. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. What this is saying is that God had planned before the foundations of the world had even been laid, before the world was created, he knew that we would need a savior. This is before Adam and Eve were put in the garden. This is before Adam and Eve sinned. This is before sin marred and stained all of creation and we all inherited a sinful nature and then chose to sin ourselves. It's before all of that. God knew we would need a savior. And so God the Father, God the Spirit, God the Son, they formulated a plan, a rescue mission. And he sent Jesus to be our rescuer. He was fully obedient to the Father. And it is truly, truly amazing because in his death, he pays the penalty for our sins. He becomes sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Somebody had to pay for our sins. It would either be us or it would be him. And that is the other reason that Jesus was crucified. It's because of these people, masses of humanity all around the world. It's because of these people. And I think the thing that is the most overwhelming to me, it's because of this guy.
if I had pictures of all of you, I would put you up here with me. Because Jesus died for every one of us. He did it in the most horrific way possible. And he did it because he loved you, and because he loved me, and because he loved the world. So I want to invite the worship team now. But we're not going to sing any more songs. We're not going to speak any more words. This time, we want it to be for you. And so what I want is to just leave you here tonight, right where you're at. Whatever you're feeling, whatever you're thinking, I just want to leave you here right now. And I want you to have some time to ponder the depths of your own sin. Maybe tonight you're recognizing that there's some confession that needs to be made. There's some work that needs to be done with the Lord. This would be a fantastic time to do that because Jesus wants you to run to him and not away from him. I want you to ponder the horrors of the cross about everything we talked about tonight, the beatings, the humiliation, the shame, the pain, the agony, the man of sorrows. I want you to ponder all of that. And I want you to ponder the fact that you and I are responsible for that. But I also want you to ponder the immense and immeasurable love that God has for you and for me and for all of his creation. So I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna ponder. When you're done, take as long as you want. And when you're done, if you could just please quietly get up and, and slip out of the room, give other people around you space and, and time to, to have as much time as they need as well. Bow your heads with me, let's pray. Father, Thank you. Thank you. Amen. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.